This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. It's Tuesday, which means another episode of the Fenway Rundown, Mass Live's Red Sox baseball podcast. I'm your usual co-host, Sean McAdam, without my usual co-host, Chris Cotillo, who is on vacation this week, but we are joined by the ever-able Chris Smith, part of our Red Sox team coverage at Mass Live. Um Chris will uh, be joining us for this episode. A reminder that we're going to have uh, Red Sox player development guy Brian Abraham with us on Thursday to discuss the Red Sox system and some of the prospects. But for today, Chris, um, let's start off with uh, what was just a horrendous evening at Fenway Park on Monday night with Kyle Barraclaw left to give up 10 runs over the final four innings. Uh, It was as if the Red Sox were waving a white flag on the game for the second day in a row. We saw Chris Murphy go four innings and take 90 pitches on Sunday. Uh, The implication being that as bad as that was, it would help them reset for Monday. And yet when we got to Monday, it was more of the same. The Red Sox lead by a run going into the sixth inning. They give up sixth in the sixth, two more in the seventh, two more in the eighth. Just an ugly night all around at Fenway. What'd you make of it? Well, yeah, going back to Sunday, there was times in that game where, you know, they were getting close. And it's like, why are you keeping, you know, Murphy in here? Um, You know, I guess it's he's not chasing wins, right? Like, you know, he wants the bullpen rested for Monday and for the Houston series. And, you know, looking at that first game, it's, you know, I mean, a lot of people are blaming Cora for you know he he threw it away white flag you know all this stuff um but i mean you can go back to blaming chris sale for only going four and two thirds you know i mean that if your starters can't go that much uh if they keep going four and two thirds four four innings five innings at most then you know you're gonna have to put a long reliever out there and that's what happened and um you know and it's two days in a row as you said like you know murphy gets called up he takes it on the chin and then, you know, Barraclaw comes in, he takes it on the chin and he's going to be out today probably. So it's like, you know, it's just um, the bullpen is running on fumes and um, it's not necessarily Cora's fault that, you know, he threw in the white, you know, the, the white flag, he waved the white flag last night. It can go back to the fact that the starters aren't doing their jobs. And then also, you know, Heim for, you know, team building and you know getting into this spot where you've got starters that you know can't go deep here and you're relying on a Chris Sale a, a day after you know somebody doesn't go deep when you know he can factor too many pitches himself so you know it goes to a lot of things yeah I, I think you're right when we focus more on the rotation rather than the bullpen it's easy to point fingers at the bullpen and a guy like Barrett Claude who's just kind of trying to take the the ball and do his job last night by his own estimation 
It may have been the worst outing of his professional career. It certainly looked like that at times. Um, the Astros sent 12 guys to the plate in the sixth. He walked four in that, three in that inning, hit two others, and gave up two rockets, uh, a two-run triple and a three-run homer. Just ugly all around. And I think people are, you know, people are booing him, but it was just strange to see that kind of beating and then no activity in the bullpen for the rest of the night. And it was clear that he was going to have to kind of get to the finish line and wear it as ugly as it was. But uh, Chris, I think you're right. It's all about the rotation and the workload that that has created for the bullpen. Um, I saw a stat today that in the previous 26 games, and, and that one, that would include last night, and you referenced Chris Sale getting them only four and two-thirds innings with 92 pitches. Only seven times in those 26 have the Red Sox had a starting pitcher finish six innings. So, uh, you know, fewer than a third of the games, you're getting two-thirds of a start from your rotation. And that's adding up, and that is wearing down that bullpen to the point where Schreiber wasn't available, Whitlock wasn't available, Winkowski wasn't available, Pavetta wasn't available. The only two guys available were Martin and Jansen at the end of the bullpen, and of course, in a one-run game in the sixth inning, those guys aren't doing you any good. You have to get a lead to be able to use them. You certainly don't want to waste them in a blowout, and so Baraclaw's the guy that gets hung out to dry. But when you look at the rotation, only Brian Bayo is a guy that has no issues going forward, right? You got Sale coming off rehab and a shoulder issue. You've got Paxton, who certainly looks like he's hit a wall, having not pitched much in the previous three seasons. And now we're starting to see that the workload has taken a toll on him. You've got Tanner Houck, who's made two or three starts since coming off the disabled list and missing two months with the facial fracture. Um, and you've got Cutter Crawford, a guy who's fine for four and a third, four and two thirds, but something happens when he gets to that five inning limit and the stuff begins to drop off, as we saw in his most recent start. So you've got one guy in that rotation. Brian Bayo, the youngest, the least experienced of all of them, who you can count on for some length. And, you know, and as you're talking about, like, you know, taking that and going forward towards next year, I mean, you're looking ahead towards next year with that. And it's like, well, you don't have anybody, you know, at Worcester either. Like, you've got to go out and get guys. Um, you know, Shane Drohan, who's, you know, probably the closest of anybody is, you know, he does not have great command at all. And you can talk with, you know, Brian Abraham about, you know, some of the pitching depth in the upper levels, but, you know, they're two, they're two, um, you know, top pitching prospects. One's at double A and just got there in a promotion about, you know, a month ago. And the other one's at high A and he just got there by promotion a month ago. And so they don't have anybody, you know, like that they can, you know, rely on at the start of next year. Um, you know, I think Cutter Crawford's a, you know, a, you know, a guy that can be a fit starter. Um, but yeah, you can't really rely on on much. And you know, Tanner Houck, it's like it's, you know, it's very confusing. What is he as a starting pitcher? We don't know that, like, because he hasn't pitched enough, um, and he hasn't had the inning totals either. So we just don't know with him. 
And, you know, you can say the, the same thing about Whitlock, the injuries that, that piled up this year. And he just hasn't looked good in general, even out of the bullpen. Um, and so I think he's a reliever going forward. And so you, you know, you look at it and you don't have much at the upper levels. You don't have anything really that's, that's working right now at the, at the major league level, except for Brian Bayo. And so, you know, you're going to have to go outside the organization and, and, you know, fill this. I think you make a good point about both Whitlock and Hauk. I think at the start of the year with both of those guys in the rotation, the hope was that this would be the season where they really take a step forward. Uh, there were going to be some bumps on the, in the road. Their development was going to continue. But you were hoping to see, if you're the Red Sox, some real development of them as starting pitchers, as guys that you could count on as fixtures to build around. You know, you've got another year of Chris Sale, you've got Bayo coming forward, and you were hoping that both Hauk and Whitlock would, you know, maybe give you 9, 10, 11 wins, give you 150 innings or so, take that big step and know that you have, you know, however you want to classify them, a number three, a number four, but two guys that could be part of the solution going forward. And because of injuries, a couple of times with Whitlock and the elbow, and of course the facial facial, facial fracture uh, for Hauk and missing a couple of months there, you don't know any more about them as we approach September 1st than we knew on April 1st. And that, that's a real discouraging aspect of this season that they still don't know what to expect with those from those guys going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously an unfortunate thing with Hauk. You know, that's a you know an injury that doesn't happen uh, that much, and so, you know, but it it happened, and it's like now you're you're at a place where you really like you either wanted to figure out like you know develop them here in this year and see you know going forward and so that they could go next year, or just figure out what they are, and you just haven't been able to figure out what they are just because of the lack of pitching over this year and last year for both of those guys. Yeah, it, it takes time. Of course, not all progress is linear for young pitchers. There are going to be ups and downs, but there's been very little encouraging progress from either one of those guys. And as I said, I think when we look back on the 2023 season, the inability to get some clarity on what you can expect from those two going forward is right at the top of the most disappointing developments of this year. Let, let's turn our develop our, our attention now to the math. After the loss last night, the Red Sox are now five and a half games out. I believe that's their biggest deficit. I'm trying to remember after they lost the first two in Houston, Chris, you were there covering that series. They were either at five or five and a half and then rallied a little bit when they won the final two games of that series. They're now in a position where they have to do that again against Houston. They have to win the final two here just to not lose any further ground. And remember, that's there are enough teams in front of them now when you look at all three teams in the west seattle texas and houston and toronto in the east that even if you keep pace or make up a little ground on houston uh there could be other teams that are are not giving up any ground that's the hard part of this is having to vault over at least two teams to get into that playoff picture um, is it over? Is it time to wave the white flag metaphorically above Fenway Park on the postseason in 2023? Well, you know, I was actually talking to Tom Karen about this the other day. It's like, you know, 
after that second game in Houston, you thought that they were done. And then obviously they come out and they have two good performances, one great game on Wednesday that goes into extras and they win it. And then they get a, you know, they won what 17 to one or something like that with 20, you know, 25 hits or 26 hits the next day. And so, you know, all of a sudden you have hope again, but now they go and they lose the series to the Dodgers. Um, And, you know, last night was just, you know, horrendous. And so I would say that they're done just because of what's in, you know, what the teams are in front of them. They just can't hop over one team. They have multiple teams and these teams are playing like, you know, I mean, while the Red Sox are playing Houston the next two days, you know, the Mariners are playing who Mariners can't lose and they're playing, you know, they're playing the athletics, right? The Blue Jays are playing the nationals. The Red Sox were unable to take care of business against the nationals. If you go Texas back is playing the Mets, a team that has folded up a long time ago and is now in last place in the National League East. You're right. Uh, the, the schedule is doing them no favors here. And while it gets a little easier for the Red Sox this weekend in Kansas City, after that, it's Tampa Bay and Baltimore. And uh, it, it's more the iron here, teams that are well in front of them uh, and are going to make any sort of making up ground difficult, if not impossible. I think you make a good point, Chris, about, uh, you know, we've been ready to shovel the dirt on the Red Sox a number of times over the course of the year, whether it be last weekend or last week in Houston after the first two, or we can go back to other times where they are kind of in a funk and you figure, well, you know, they hung in there for a while, but that's it. Uh, it, It seems like this time is going to be pretty difficult to to wipe out i haven't checked their fan graphs uh playoff chances i'm i'm certain that it is below 10 percent at this point nine percent yeah nine percent right so that gives you you know they have less than one in ten chance of qualifying for the postseason they have 30 games left it would almost take uh i would say up at minimum 20 wins for them to uh lay a claim to one of those wild card spots and uh, frankly given the way things have been going with the pitching it, it's difficult to envision that happening we, we are getting to the month of september on friday uh, traditionally september 1st and labor day weekend is when things really get interesting in the playoff race but it is the red sox misfortune to be playing themselves out of contention just as september 1st arrives Um, So one thing that we can, I suppose, look forward to a little bit is the ability for all teams to add a couple of players on September 1st. Uh, It goes without saying that one of those additions is going to be a pitcher for the Red Sox because teams want to have as many arms as possible to compete for that final month. But that leads one position player. And given the fact that we've got some guys on the IL and up and down with options and everything else. We're not sure who that's going to be, but let's say hypothetically that Jaron Duran comes back and is able to contribute. And, um, and that means they have one spot to give to a position player. If it comes down to Sadon Raffaella or Willier Abreu for the final four weeks, who should get that spot and why? That is a difficult question to answer. Um, you know, you look at Abreu and he has a similar type of approach, right? To like, you know, Tristan, Tristan Casas, like, you know, he has the ability to, you know, he 
I saw Red Sox stats put out something the other day and it was before the game on Monday or before the game on Monday. So I don't know if it's still true, but like, you know, he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, swung at a pitch out of the, you know, out of the zone or something like that. I mean, he's just really good at recognizing pitches, but you also have a guy that his, his ceiling is a lot higher. Right. And like, you know, like his ceiling could be a superstar in the league just because of the ability to play, you know, defense, and you look at how, you know, that gets, you know, that puts war up like crazy. And so, you know, this is a guy that can accumulate a bunch of wins above replacement if, you know, he's, you know, going forward next year. And so you would like to see a guy like that play a lot in September, um, you know, to see what he can do and to get his feet wet. Like they, you know, they did with, you know, Casas last year, or they did with, you know, Dahlbeck during the 2020 season, going into the 21 season, they've done him with plenty of guys. And, you know, I think you need to figure that or you need to give them some time because it it would be good if both of them had some time. Right. But like, you've got to, you know, that's important because, you know, you could trade Verdugo uh, this off season. I mean, you're at a crossroads with Verdugo. Um, You know, can you get, so? you know, I I don't know. I mean, what do you think about a trade for Verdugo? This, this, but then, you know, you've got to look at who you have the free agent market in, you know, outfielders isn't particularly strong. And so you'd like to see Rafaela get a good look, but you'd also like to see Abreu get a good look because, you know, I've always said it like, you know, you can be ranked number three in the system or you can be ranked number 25. And if you have that kind of approach that Abreu has, you know, rankings go down the, you know, the toilet. <laughs> I just think he could be as good of a player. Obviously, Rafael has a higher ceiling, though, um, just because of the defense that he can provide and all around game that he can provide. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's difficult. It's going to be a difficult decision for them. Obviously, they brought up Abreu before, you know, they brought up Rafaela. So but that was also at a time where, you know, they were in it. And so their decision making can be different at that point, too. So, you, you, you know, you can go with either one. I think that what would be best for the Red Sox is you've gotten a good view of what Jaron Duran is this year and what he can be going forward. That he stays on the IL for a little bit longer and you can get a good look at both of them. Yeah. I mean, you, you would want Duran back and healthy and not have any complications yeah. from this toe injury. He went to Charlotte yesterday to see a specialist. We expect that we'll find out more about that today. Uh, but that outfield is kind of undefined going forward. You know, that, uh, Masataka Yoshida is going to be your left fielder unless something strange happens and he gets bumped to the DH. Let's say that Justin Turner does not opt into that option year that he has, and all of a sudden you've got the DH spot open. Do you move Yoshida into that role and then try to have a better defensive outfield where you could have, uh, tip, you know, perhaps uh, Jaron Duran in left field? Sedan, uh, Sedan Rafaela in center and Verdugo, or maybe uh, bringing back Adam Duvall to play right field. I have my doubts about Duvall's ability to play right field in Fenway over the course of a season, but we're seeing again as he's on this heater what he can do when he's hot and provide that right-handed pull power. Uh, the 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 run he's on now is sort of reminiscent of the first ten days of the season before he injured his wrist in Detroit and ended up missing two months. So they've got a decision to make on Duval going forward, but that outfield could have a very different look next year than it does now. And the thing about Yoshida, I mean, if, if Turner doesn't opt in and then they put him at DH, well, he's a good hitter. 
I mean, you know, he's got an OPS over 800. Good offensive player. Good up, but is he a DH? You know, that's the thing. Like, you want yeah, more do you want to do you want to move action. a 30 year old guy that you're paying 15 million dollars a year for into that DH spot? Probably permanently if you do it. Uh, it, it may be that they had in their mind, let's get three years out of him in the outfield. And then maybe by the time he's 32 for those final two years, he transitions to the DH spot. I don't think it was in their plans to move him for his second year. And yeah. yet they may have to because of some of the defensive issues they're looking at. Yeah. And, you know, so I think that when you see Yoshida, I mean, there's been points of this year where he's been, you know, terrific. Um, there was that eight straight games like tying Ted Williams that he had with, you know, uh, multi-hit games, eight straight multi-hit games, the first left-handed batter in the Red Sox organization to do that since Ted Williams. Uh, there's been some times where you're like, wow, this guy is a really good hitter. And then there's some times where you're like, he hasn't been in the lineup a couple of days this weekend. And you you don't even miss him because he hadn't, he hasn't produced that much this month. And so, um, you know, I look at him as a guy that he'll learn a lot from this year um, physically of what expectations are. And, you know, he'll have a better year next year, I think, offensively. However, you're right about the fact that, you know, they weren't looking at this guy for five years or whatever as a, as a DH. And also you would think you would like a little bit more production. I mean, that's a, he's a good corner outfielder guy. I mean, he has 13 home runs. I think it's 28, almost 30 doubles and stuff like that. And he can play court. That's production from a corner outfield. I mean, you do want maybe a little bit more power, whatever, but um, from a DH, you know, when I look at a DH, I look at, you know, David Ortiz, J.D. Martinez. Yeah, you think of an, an aging slugger who's not very mobile. Yes. Uh, that that does not apply to Yoshida, even though he's not a good base runner and he has virtually no speed. And he's not a very good defender. So you start wondering, where is his future here? And that's one of the things that they have to make a decision on this winter. What, As we get close to wrapping up here, Chris, what would you like to see get accomplished in the final month here? Uh, if indeed uh, these games are not going to be impacting their playoff chase and they're going to be out of contention soon enough, if not already, what can they get done here in the final four plus weeks? Well, as we said, it's like, you know, it's difficult to figure, you know, to, to really know anything with your rotation because, you know, you've got aging guys like Chris Sale and Paxton, you're not going to figure out anything from them down the stretch, um, you know, and, and, as I said, they don't really have anybody in Worcester you can bring up. And, you know, so, you know, you can look at Bayo, but Bayo's done his job this year. He's going to be in the rotation next year. That's a certain. And so there's really not much you can figure out in terms of pitching staff. Um, you know, you can bring up a guy like, you know, Chris Murphy and see what he can do in a, in a certain role. But his numbers have incredibly diminished, you know, obviously uh, month by month. And so, you know, you look at it, and I think that the the most important thing is is that you look at what you have outfield wise, and you know, going forward. I mean, as I said, Verdugo is a guy that can get traded. You said Yoshida could be in the DA spot next year. You're going to have some uh, outfield spots open. You know, Duvall, he's his contract ends it this year, and they might bring him back. He probably would be a good guy to bring back. But you know, overall, you've got just a bunch of, you know um question marks in the outfields and so i'd like to see both those guys of rayu and and obviously duran as i said you know i, I as i said earlier you know you'd like to see him on the, on the aisle for a little bit more time just 
guys, but he needs to come back too and play, right? So that you, you know, then yeah, I think it would be a good year. idea to to have him healthy at the end of yeah. the year so that he goes into his offseason knowing that there's nothing lingering. He's physically yeah. set. Uh, he's had this kind of breakthrough season and he's ready to take the next step forward next spring. But uh, it, it could be an interesting final four weeks here if indeed it looks like five and a half games with 30 to go is too much of a obstacle to overcome for the 2023 Red Sox. That is going to wrap it up for this Tuesday edition of the Fenway Rundown. Um, as we mentioned, Brian Abraham, who's in charge of the Red Sox player development system, has been kind enough to agree to join us on Thursday. We'll ask him all sorts of questions about prospects and uh, discuss what they learned about the minor league system this year. That, that comes up on Thursday. I want to thank Chris Smith for pinch hitting for Chris Cotillo today. Chris, thanks as always. We will be back on Thursday. Please rate us, tell your friends and come back and listen to the Fenway Rundown. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.